Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Just Like Jesus. If you want to go, we're going to be in Exodus uh, 19, and we're also, that's going to be kind of the preface uh, for the main, uh, the meat of what we're going to get into is going to be in Hebrews 12. But I want to start by prefacing and basically asking the question of how do we approach the presence of God? When we worship, uh, when we're spending time, when we're praying, what is the posture of our hearts uh, when we are in the presence of God? Are we passive? Um, is, it, is it watered down? Do, do we kind of have God fit into this church box that we've created to where we believe that um, as long as kind of he does what we want him to do for us, and, and we kind of keep this comfortable side of we'll give you what's comfortable for us, and we kind of put him aside, and we make him this little, this little cute God that's in our, in our little bubble, um, or when we are in the presence of God, is he really creator? Is he ruler? Is he mighty, all-powerful, almighty God of this universe? As I, even as we, we sing this song, So Will I, uh, referencing even to Romans uh, 1.20, where he says that we are without excuse to recognize the power and divine nature of who God is throughout creation and what we can see. And even as we sing, So Will I, and it's, and it's these words of, as you breathe, we catch your breath. Right, these stars and, and, and all these things in creation glorify who you are. And so as we go throughout the day, we see these things. We see your character. We see who you are. And we should be without excuse to recognize the magnitude. So what is the posture of our hearts when we're with God? Is it passive or is it in full surrendered recognition of who God is? The presence of our Father, the presence of who God is, and when we are in that place, should do something to us. It should be drastically different than any other feeling or emotion that we ever feel anywhere else. It shouldn't be normal. It should be something that is so supernatural that as we experience who God is, as we worship, as we pray, it should be so surreal that it would be unrecognizable to anything else that is in our hearts. I want to, we're going to preface, like I said, Hebrews 12 by reading Exodus uh, 19. Uh, We're going to kind of read 16 through 20-ish, 24. Uh, Prior context to the passage that we're going to get into is uh, God has delivered Moses and the people from Israel. He's brought them out. Uh, They're traveling through the wilderness, and uh, they get to uh, the desert, um, uh, the desert of Sinai, and they camp out for a while. Uh, it basically says with, with Mount Sinai, and we'll, we'll get to Mount Sinai here in a bit, but basically camp next to Mount Sinai in their backyard, uh, and they're hanging out there for a couple days, and, and, and Moses goes up the mountain, um, up Mount Sinai to, to just talk with God. And while they're up there, God comes down, and, and the Lord basically tells Moses, hey, You've seen what I've done. You've seen how I've delivered you out of Egypt. You've seen that I've, it says he lifted you up on wings and carried you and delivered you out. Now, go back and tell the people that if you guys obey me, if you abide within me, that of all the nations and all the earth, which are all mine, but Israel will be my most treasured possession if you guys will just obey me. 
of all the nations, of everything that I've created. And he says, I've created all of it, but you guys will be my prized choice and the deepest treasure of my heart if you guys obey me. So Moses goes back down uh, the mountain, and he calls the elders up. And he tells the elders, hey, this is what God says. They go out, and they basically say, hey, we'll do whatever he wants. Like, we will totally abide. We'll obey. If that's the case, then we'll do it. So God goes back up the mountain, says, hey, everybody agreed. Uh, and then God basically gives kind of some, some regulations of uh, cleansing and some purification things and says, you guys have two days. Go out and clean your clothes. Uh, watch yourself, uh, stay away from any sexual activity, like I want your heart, I want your bodies, I want everything pure, and then he kind of gives some regulations um, as to how he would show himself. And so God basically says, tell the people that in three days, uh, you're going to come up the mountain, I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to settle on this place so that people will see my presence and see me speaking to you, so that they will trust you and what I tell you, and that they'll follow you basically as I lead through you. Okay, so this is the context. So we're going to be Exodus 19, um, starting in verse uh, 16. He says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. <clears throat> the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us to put limits around the mountain and to set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way to come up to the Lord or else he will break out against them. So what do we see? We see that uh, Moses and, and the people now, um, it's the third day, and it's time for Moses to go up the mountain. So I want to kind of paint this picture of, imagine you and this entire city of Loganville, and then some probably, wandering out in the desert, and you camp. But can you throw up that picture of Mount Sinai as we kind of break this down? There we go. So we're all camping out, out here somewhere in the middle of the desert, and this is in our backyard. Right? You're told that, hey, uh, in a couple days... Presence of God is going to come down. Moses is going to trek his way up there, uh, and we're going to get to see and experience the power of God. So the people wake up on the third day, and they probably walk out of their tents, and they see complete chaos around them. It's lightning. It's thunder. Somewhere off in the distance, there's this loud trumpet blast coming from somewhere. And so uh, imagine there's probably a little bit of stress, a little bit of tension uh, within that moment, a lot of just confusion of what in the world's going on. And so uh, it's a heavy, tense moment. Um, growing up being someone who is terrified of thunderstorms, if I walked out and saw this mountain in a blazing storm of lightning and thunder, and then there's a trumpet added to it, probably would be pretty, pretty chaotic in our hearts and minds. But uh, So, so uh, Moses ends up walking up this mountain, and so I, I was trying to do some research on, on Sinai and basically found out that it is 7,487 feet tall. 
uh, compared that to Stone Mountain, which is 1,686 feet. So we're talking four and a half times even the size of Stone Mountain. And this is where God shows his presence um, to Moses. And so they're walking up this mountain, and it says that there was lightning, and that there was thunder, and there was a trumpet, and said that the mountain and the people and Moses all trembled under the presence of God. And so I looked up and began even trying to figure out what trembling really meant and what it meant to tremble as it talks about here and as we'll get to in Hebrews. And basically trembling is this uncontrollable thing that happens within our body, right? Like we can't control what it happens, but it's this violent shake and this fear and the presence of God was so heavy on this place that not only was Moses or the people fearful and shaking and trembling, but this massive mountain, this 7,000 foot tall creation of God was trembling under the presence of God. Massively powerful, right? Like this is a big, big, big deal. Like these people didn't experience God in this moment and walked into the church doors and high-fived their friends and I'll pray for you and walked back out and went on to work on Monday. Like they saw the presence of God and the earth shook under the presence of who God was in that moment. Unbelievable. And so we preface this now going in to Hebrews 12. And I want to share in Hebrews 12, 18 through 28. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire and darkness and gloom and storm. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Again, reiterating that the people begged God. They could not even bear the words that if you touch the mountain, if any kind of barrier is broken to where you approach the presence of who God was, they would be stoned to death, they would be shot with arrows. Uh, they says back in Exodus that God basically told Moses, don't even touch the people, stone them, shoot them with an arrow, but do not even touch them if they come close to the presence of God because it was that intense and that powerful. And again here in Hebrews it says that they begged that no further word even be spoken because they could not handle the power and the magnitude of who God was. Right, so we have this Old Testament, um, and as Nick and I were even talking about <clears throat> earlier this week, so that so much of the Old Testament before Jesus came that whenever the presence of God was spoken about, it was like a terrifying thing. Like nobody really wanted probably to experience the presence of God because it was so scary and so terrifying. There's so much fear uh, associated with it that it really wasn't like this exciting thing that we as, as New Covenant believers get to experience. Right, so we kind of so uh, the writer of Hebrews prefaces this again, but he goes into verse 22, and this is where the big shift for us in our hearts, I think, has to change. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of a living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the church of uh, the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, that is sprinkled blood that speaks louder and a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we turn away from him who warns us in heaven? At that time, this voice shook the whole earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Here's the big, the, the, the main point here in verse 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with a reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Scripture goes on to say that even though in the presence of this fear, even though in the presence of this magnitude that shook the earth and that the people trembled and wanted nothing else to hear from God because it was so powerful, as we are now in new covenant believers with Christ, it says that we have now come to a city of a living God, that we have come to be able to join in with thousands upon thousands of angels in a joyful assembly, that we are now a body in the church of Jesus Christ into a new covenant, into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so with this now is the preference that we get to worship. We don't have to worship God out of this fear and out of this trembling. But we can worship God out of thankfulness and in a worship that owes a reverence and an awe for who God is. And so this main phrase here, reverence and awe, are the main things that I've been pondering over the last weeks and months. And reverence and awe mixed together literally means that we owe a respect mixed with a fear and a wonder of who God is. The presence of God, as we started out with, like it shouldn't be just this comfortable, casual, passive uh, thing that we do in worship. Like As we experience the presence of God, we are literally worshiping the God that created everything. And as I've gotten to read through this and study this over the last weeks and months, it's changed so much in my heart, even since the last times that I spoke about, uh, Hebrews talks about that the word of God is active and it's alive. This book is not something that is passively set on a shelf that we pick up once or twice a week to fix kind of our casual needs or our little pains and we put a band-aid on it, but it says this book what it speaks and who we serve is so much as alive as it was back when he fell on this mountain. And the mountain, this beast, trembled under the presence of who God is. And it breaks my heart that there's so many even uh, American Christians that we, we come in and it's just this thing that we say and we do because culturally it's become popular. Right? Like culturally... Uh, being a, a Christian or even being a hip pastor is like this trendy thing to kind of do. And so we kind of put on the skinny jeans and we rip a hole in them and put on some fake glasses and we walk into the church and it's just this casual thing that doesn't have this deep-rooted worship and reverence of awe and who God is. Like this is a big, big, big deal. And as I've gotten to read through this and start experiencing this, like it is ripped me down to the ground on my knees so many days, day after day, because we get to recognize, God, I, I don't have to be consumed by my fears and my worries and my anxieties and my doubts and my pains. Like I am defined by the worship that I get to bring before you because you are more than capable of handling. You are more than capable of taking on my issues. You are more than worthy of any other uh, worship and, and, and uh, exhortation of my energy that I can put into anything else.
as I said before, about probably about three weeks ago, um, I entered into the longest, it was about two weeks long, of the most just gripping, um, debilitating kind of fear and anxiety that I've ever gone through. And it was such a seemingly uh, almost ridiculous reason to why I was kind of going through this, but day after day, uh, week, two weeks or so ago went by, and I was just smoked day after day after day by this weightiness that I felt like was crushing me from the inside out. Just debilitating kind of anxiety to where my mind was robbed from it. Uh, even as I sat going through my quiet times in the morning, um, throughout the afternoons as I lay down in bed, not even being able to get really comfortable to go to sleep because I was just flooded with this attack of fear and anxiety. And, and through that, um, it was actually, I think, the same week where I started preparing uh, to speak here. And so paralleled, I'm trying to prepare to speak on worshiping with just the most heart-poured-out reverence and awe of who God is, at the same time while battling the greatest fear and anxiety I've ever gone through. And in that, we had, or I said, we, I had really a choice to either step into that fear and allow myself to be gripped by it and taken over by it and allow fear to rule over me, or I could continue to take those fears and anxieties and cast them to the Father and worship and worship and worship until that fear had no place to reign in my heart. And I remember telling Grace, I was like, and I came to kind of the realization, even talking to my mentors of, the only time that fear and anxiety really subsided is when I was in that full, heartfelt, just full adoration worship to who God was. And there would be day after day, like I was on my knees, and I would be laying on my floor crying, and I was at church praying and worshiping and crying and just begging God, please fill me with your presence, fill me with who you are. Fear does not have a place in my heart to reign and to rule because, God, I know that you're greater than that. I know, I know that your presence made the mountain tremble, that we now, though, get to step into this church of a living God, that we now worship and we get to come to Mount Zion and we are a part of an assembly of thousands and thousands and thousands of angels that get to worship you. And that should fill my heart, that fear and my issues and my troubles should not have any kind of precedence or rule over my heart because that has got to be the most focal thing that my heart is pour, uh, pouring out. And so again, I want to bring this all back to what is the posture of our heart. I want this to be something that you guys are constantly thinking about in your, in your own lives. Because this isn't a passive God that we worship. We have life, and we have life abundantly through him. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Psalms 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search my heart, God. Show me those areas to where I'm not surrendered to you. 
It was so amazing over the last years, and even uh, Joan and I talking about this a couple weeks ago, about even just surrendering all the areas of our life, right? Like, search me, God. I want to know that there is not one thing inside of me that I am harboring to myself or that I won't release to you. Like, I want everything to be surrendered to you. I want everything to be yours because, my God, you are so worthy of that worship. Even as we stand in here before I got to come up and just getting teary-eyed thinking what a gift and a blessing it is to be given the opportunity just to share your word. Like, man, like we get to be the people that go and take this word and share it to other people. And that is such an amazing gift that we can take for granted. And such an amazing gift that gets put up, put on a shelf, and left until next week when we pick it back up. Or a missed opportunity that we did not love and share and encourage and breathe life into somebody else. There's passages in Colossians, and I think it's either in Galatians or Ephesians. And basically, Paul's writing is like, pray that I would proclaim the word of God clearly and fearlessly as I should. That should be the prayer for all of us. God, I want my heart, first of all, to be surrendered to you. If there's something that I'm harboring that is keeping some kind of distance from you, search my heart, show me what that is, and then help me proclaim this word and who you are fearlessly and clearly as I should because this word is alive and it is intended to be spoken and taught in a certain way and not allocated to fit, again, our comforts or to make God into what we want and so that we're comfortable with them, but Comfortable or not, fear and anxiety flooding my heart or not, this God is worthy of that worship. I'll wrap it up here um, as we move into worship. But just thinking, guys, as we as we worship, don't want to just casually raise a hand. We don't want to just look at the screen and sing, but I want you guys to really dig deep in your hearts and in your souls and, and just ask, Lord, what is it that's holding me back from that worship? What is it maybe that is keeping me um, from being able to experience that presence and that holiness, Lord, that you deserve? I don't want to rob God of anything. I don't want to rob God of my finances. I don't want to rob uh, God of my time. It's not easy getting up an hour earlier than you need to just so you can spend that time in the Word. And I don't want to rob you from worship. It's probably the easiest, the cheapest thing that we can give God. And sometimes it's the thing that we just throw away and harbor the most. It costs us Worldly standards, nothing to worship. It should be the easiest thing. It should be the thing that seriously, and I, just learning to live on our knees is something that, guys, it, it, it's the simplest, yet it can be the most profound and the most powerful thing that we ever do. And there's times where even in the mornings I get to get on my knees and pray, and we, have an old, we live in an old house with old hardwood floors, and getting down on your knees, and it hurts Sometimes, like, knees are already beat up from, from playing sports and training and stuff, but just knowing that, oh, this is the best place to live. This posture right here is the greatest place that we can live. And we bow our bodies and we bow our hearts in the posture in which we worship God 
It should be different. It shouldn't be recognizable from anything else that people see in our hearts. So we don't worship a God that is out of fear. We don't worship a God that leaves us fearful for walking up the mountain. But just as Jesus had communion and relationship and worship with the Father, God says, now you come running up the mountain. That barrier that was once there thousands of years ago with Moses that kept you from entering my presence because of uh, you weren't worthy enough basically to be um, in the presence of the Lord, Jesus' death and resurrection says, I have wiped away that barrier. Now come running up that mountain to me. Come running up that mountain and let me fall and let my presence be heavily, heavily, heavily felt in your hearts. We have that invitation to run. Not to crawl, not to walk, but to get up and run into that presence of God and worship him with a deep reverence and awe. Reverence and awe basically just says that we owe him this fear and wonder of who he is in worship. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrawlsloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website we have old messages and archived series so you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.